Welcome back to Investing 404, the podcast for amateur investors for amateur investors. I'm Garvin F. Chris here with me. We've both been investing for over a year and we'd like to give an insight on how we analyze companies for investment. Welcome to a special episode. This episode we're talking all about ETFs, so the classic index fund and why ETFs are pretty much the most invested instrument out there. Uh, your pension fund will have it, uh, your parents might have it, we have some. We'll give you some interesting learning and facts and then tell you about some special ETFs we invested in, we, we have seen on our radar as well. To kick it off then, um, I think it's worth just saying what are ETFs and what people, why people get into it, right? So most people when they invest and this is just retail investors we're not talking about institutions but most retail investors are trying to find a way to get some passive income right and to passively invest and what that means is when you're actively investing you're putting money into a stock and then you're actively looking for exit points or even entry points prior to getting in right so you're actively looking at that stock and what you should be doing with it Passive investing tends to happen where you're investing money and then you don't really care uh, about the day-to-day price or anything like that and you're just trying to passively put more money in and see that grow. Common way of passively investing is through an ETF. So what is an ETF? And most ETFs, especially the ones we're going to be covering, are like index funds, right? And what index funds essentially do is that they're a fund which is a portfolio of stocks or bonds which mimics the performance of the individual stocks, right? So essentially, it has a, a basket of all of these stocks. And if the stocks and bonds go up, the whole ETF goes up. Um, and, and, and essentially, the, the point of the ETF is that it's, it's extremely transparent because you know exactly uh, what the weighting of each of the stocks or bonds in that ETF is. It's very like liquid and it's very accessible because it's across the world and it provides wonderful like diversification because if one specific stock falls, it doesn't like crush your whole ETF because it's a small weighting of the whole pie. And ETFs are sometimes compared to hedge funds, but then in no way really related to a hedge fund. So a hedge fund would be uh, certain professionals you give your money to and they are actively look after the money. So as Goff says, they buy stocks, sell stocks. They might short Tesla because they think it's too high. You know, they're trying to make and grow your money. Whereas most ETFs simply just follow the market. So these can range from all country world to as specific as the UK to even more specific of, you know, UK stocks in healthcare. This is kind of the remit that ETFs usually cover. The point here isn't to actively stock pick or time the market. The point here is to just buy the whole market, buy a small share in the whole market, and you just keep doing that over time and you make money. And just to bring that point across at Vanguard right now, and this is just one example, you can buy an all-country world ETF for, I think, £47. In those £47, you are effectively buying 3,700 stocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and the point here is over time, and uh, there's some wonderful statistics about that, uh, over time you're way more likely to succeed in making money in this way versus stock picking. Um, so whilst your returns in a, any given year might not be as high as a potential like stock picking 
uh, venture for yourselves over time, over the course of time, you would do much better through the index funds. And there's some fantastic statistics on uh, actively managed versus having just an ETF following the index. The top 10 funds in the 1990s altogether, only one of them managed to stay in the top 10 the next 10 years. And that, that pretty much describes what we see in the market now as well. Imagine you yourself would have picked uh, Booking.com, airlines, really travel heavy just before Corona. Your, your fund or, or your own portfolio would have done terribly. Whereas if you put that same money in an index, okay, you also got some of the crash from like these airline stocks. But a few months later, you were pretty much back to all-time highs because other stocks, the technology and the other sectors that suddenly started to outperform did bring your investment back up. And that's the beauty of ETFs. Yes. So, so, so to give some more numbers to that, right? Uh, uh, if we compare against the S&P 500, right? Over the course of a 10-year period, 85% of the large cap funds underperform compared to S&P 500. If we do against 15 years, that number goes up to 92% of these funds underperform and they trail the index. And, and these are funds, let's say, with hundreds of analysts on board. You've got people researching actively. And even then, 92% of them over the course of 15 years underperform compared to the market. These are the smartest, most educated people trying to pick the right stocks. And even as, as Goff says, 92% of them don't manage to do that over a 15 year period. Point here is you can be really smart and still not be able to beat the market, right? And to give a very good example, if you take Sir Isaac Newton, right, who's one of the most intelligent people who ever lived. So he invested into a stock called the South Sea Company and he made around 100% profit on it, right? And he sold it, uh, he sold a stock. And then months later, he felt he was overwhelmed by the hype and rebought in and the stock crashed and then he lost double. So he, he gained 7,000 pounds and then he lost 20,000 pounds. And 20,000 pounds in those days is basically like around 3 million of today's money. And from then on, like he was like really upset about the whole company. The point here is if you take someone as smart as that and someone so mathematically focused such as that and you think he had a very good inkling on this company and invested and still managed to lose money over time, right? So it just shows you the benefit of having a very diversified set of ETF and investing because over time, the likelihood is that the better companies do well, even though the poor companies will fade off. And maybe one more addition of you know great things about ETFs is it takes away most of the emotion you have when you have your stock picking portfolio and you see, ooh, hang on, a Tesla is down 10% or hang on, Google is up 5%, I should sell a little bit. None of this happens when you have ETFs, uh, typically, you know, none of this happens because you just leave your ETF and you have a, a consistent strategy. I'll put in 500 a month and I'll leave that there. You couldn't care less if Apple is up 10% because the index itself will manage that, i.e., then Apple has a higher weighting and maybe lower performing stocks have a lower rating. It just naturally adjusts itself. You don't have to do anything. And it takes away that emotion that all of us fall into, even professionals, of selling on the wrong point in time or buying at the wrong point in time. But saying that, Gov, by no means do we say put all your money just in ETFs. It's probably a good strategy, but 
we understand the fun and that's why we have this podcast as well because we have some gems in our portfolio some companies we really believe in and that's why we have uh, a certain amount in our stock picking portfolios Goff, what's what's your ratio i think my ratio is around 70 percent in my etfs and 20 to 30 percent in my uh, portfolio i don't know exact figures right now i haven't done the calculation what, what's yours looking like yeah i think i've now now it's more like an 80 20 uh split for me and actually um, over the course of the next month i probably make even less and make it 85 15 um and that's how my current structure is i think the, the best practice that is out there set by you know many professionals is you have 75 to 85 percent in etfs because they're low risk you can leave them for years and years and you just top them up and then maybe you take 15 or 20 percent and pick your own stocks if you feel comfortable and if you like the fun of investing in companies itself because that's partly what it is, right? It's 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 a hobby. It's it's a bit of fun. It's in some companies you believe you really want to see them do well and maybe earn a much higher return than your ETF can ever do. Um, so an ETF to get a hundred percent performance takes you know a pretty long time. Whereas it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this year, some of these tech stocks have pretty much across the board all done a hundred percent return. Yeah. It, it's. But having said that, it's a, a very good reason not to maybe put all your money in would be you think about the number of times in the past, whether that's the internet bubble or the like there have been various bubble points where these stocks have just like doubled and tripled over the course of, of like few months only for them to just crash and just decimate the market, right? Uh, which would just be a, a shame if like, let's say all your money right now was in Amazon and then tomorrow something happens to Amazon, Amazon just crashes and burns and all your money is now worth almost nothing, right? Whereas in an ETF, even these biggest companies only have, what, 6%, 5% of the whole index anyways. So whilst it will drop, it's not going to decimate your actual life savings. So uh, just something to keep in mind. The other big benefit that we haven't really touched on and it doesn't affect... Um, most people who are probably listening to this podcast, but it's to do with lower costs. When you typically trade a, a lot of these other a lot of these companies, the trading fees are quite high, right? And the fact that you're trading quite often, um, the cut that you're losing um, can accumulate. So having a much lower cost base uh, when you're trading your ETFs uh, makes a big deal. Again, it doesn't matter as much for people listening to this podcast because they're not investing huge sums of money uh, but it's it's uh, just something to keep in mind yeah i agree, agree with Goff. Um, especially the vanguard etfs are well known for being well diversified and probably the cheapest almost across the board um, but there are etfs especially if you go into emerging markets or if you go into specific areas like digitalization or gaming or any specific area then the fees start to ramp up quite a lot we'll go through it now and we'll give you a cost with each of the etfs we mentioned because etfs have an ongoing management cost that you pay to the provider and a good, good example of this is the iShares msci world and that for example has an expense ratio of 0.24 percent every single year that you pay Regardless if the fund goes up or if it goes down, you will always pay 0.24% uh, 
to the ETF provider, which is iShares, which is actually BlackRock. A quick disclaimer, Gov and I have obviously researched this a lot. We have been investing for many years, but we are still amateurs. We are not professionals that have certifications and uh, none of this is investment advice. So please do your own research and think about what risks you want to take and where you want to be in a few years, because the time horizon also very much matters with all of this, what we're saying. Should we go into a couple of examples of some ETFs that you hold currently, Chris? and maybe break down how our ETF portfolios look like. Absolutely, Goff. And before I do that, let me take one quick minute on like the best practice that's out there. Um, uh, people might know uh, John Bogle and the Cole community has developed on the Bogle heads. And there's a great book about it actually on ETFs and keeping your cost low and you know increasing your wealth. Anyway, that community pretty much solely invests in ETFs and bonds. And the best practice that is put out there is two or three folds, but essentially some just have an all country world and nothing else. They just invest in an all country world. All country world in this sense is all developed and emerging markets countries, and they're all mixed up into one ETF. In that all country world, the US is still very highly weighted. It depends on which index provider you use, but it's 50 to 55% that the US is weighted in those. And we won't get into that detail right now why the US is weighted so highly. It's, it's just the biggest market out there for investing and it's grown massively compared to others. That's, that's one way to approach it, to just have an all country world that encompasses pretty much most countries that you've heard of uh, in the investing space. So US, China, Europe, South America, etc. Right. The other best practice approach would be to have, for example, a Vanguard developed world plus an emerging markets ETF separately. The developed world means, as it says, you have the US, Europe, you have a bit of Japan, you have all these developed countries in one ETF. You put approximately 70% of your money into the developed world and leave it there in that ETF. Then on the other side, you then use the emerging markets and put about 30% in that because the emerging markets is heavily weighted on China, India, Russia, Russia, Brazil. So that's supposed to give you more growth in times where the developed world might not have all of that growth. So that's the second approach. Number one is having an all country world ETF with all countries. Number two would be to split that yourself in a developed world and emerging markets and do the weighting as you see fit. Then I think what Gov and I have done is to do the weighting somewhat ourselves. And sorry, Gov, I'll go to get to your question now. It's been a big intro. <laughs> no, um, I, I've done something similar. So I have an all country world and I think 20% of my money is in an all country world. It encompasses all countries and I'm happy with that. Then I put in there an emerging markets ETF. And I've slightly weighted the emerging markets uh, somewhat high to the best practice approach, uh, because I think that's where we'll see a lot of growth in the future, especially coming out of Asia. And then I have supplemented that somewhat with a further country breakdown. Last year, I bought into the UK because I thought the market was undervalued. I have a Germany all cap, I have a bit more in Europe and a tiny bits in India and other markets. So that's how I have broken it down in my portfolio. I've done the weighting somewhat myself. But that's maybe a little bit more advanced if you're sure about which markets go which way. Reason I'm saying that a lot of pension providers and a lot of standard uh, investment approaches always overweigh the country you live in. 
i.e. in the UK, I've checked my own pension and it's about 50% UK shares, something I wouldn't have ever done myself <laughs> because the UK has been underperforming the US, for example. So always check what the best practice would be and kind of listen to your intuition and see what countries you want to overweigh and which ones you wouldn't want to overweigh. Gov, what's what's your ETF breakdown looking like? Yeah, so the overall approach is pretty similar, I think, Chris. So I also have roughly 20% in an all-world ETF. The further breakdown's pretty heavy on the FTSE 100 and pretty heavy on the emerging markets. A little bit in Germany, 15% in German, the German all caps. Are oh, wow. You like those German companies? No, I, I, especially especially uh, the last year, I just thought they'd recover from the pandemic a lot faster and be a lot more so efficient in dealing with the pandemic's woes. I think this year, this is, I'm going to make a slight change where everything I've mentioned so far is all uh, equity and just stocks. And it's just an index of all the stocks uh, within these countries. And I want to have a bit more bonds and just have a bit more low risk attitude to this year based on last year and, and I'm willing to give up some potential gain there. Uh, so that just means my new investments won't be uh, going into these areas, just more of a rebalancing act, essentially. Yep, makes makes perfect sense. Uh, one, one small issue with these all-country world, emerging markets and MSCI world ETFs is most of them are large cap or at least mid cap. So you don't have a lot of exposure in the small caps. And by small caps, we mean these smaller companies that have hopefully a lot of growth in front of them. So a good example would be uh, some of the 10 baggers that we mentioned. None of them would be in any of these ETFs. So if you want to uh, get some exposure into the small caps, uh, I think iShares even has an MSCI World small cap ETF. Always worth thinking about if you want some of that exposure. So, so I think that covers, let's say, these whole markets. Have you got uh, any many more sort of specialized ETF stuff focused in a specific area or industry? Yeah, I think of uh, our number one ETF this year and probably a great example for an ETF that is very specialized is the iShares Global Clean Energy, right? We've both been invested, many of our friends have been invested and I think the performance last year was 130%, right? And that's that's crazy for an ETF that encompasses 30 companies. Yeah, just just to add, just to add to that because I, I also have the iShares Clean Energy, right? Just in the last month, it's it's up like 15%, and it, it's incredible. I mean, we're definitely gonna see some corrections and uh, gonna see some swings later on. In the end, I don't think we can expect this to just stay as it is, but uh, it's just such, such a, a low-risk method of investing into that market rather than trying to find the right company that's going to ex explode and do really well, right? Uh, in this case, there's a whole bunch of companies in the ETF already, so if any of them really do really well, so does the ETF. Yeah, and I would just want to give some, uh, Goff has outlined the right risk. It's grown by so much. Uh, it's it's tough to tell how much further it can grow compared to the standard country indexes. Uh, I wanted to give some more figures on it. So the fund is compromised of 34% of US stocks, so US-based companies, 
10% Spain, that surprised me as well. New Zealand, 8%, China, 8%, Canada, 8%. So that's, you know, pretty standard. Whereas when we get to the portfolio weighting, it started to worry me when I first looked at this a few weeks ago that Plug Power, because they have pretty much tripled or quadrupled in value, is now 10% of the entire index. And Plug Power is a bit of a bubble, I'm not going to lie. I have to stock myself, but it's it's gone too high for where it should be, I think. So that index alone is now 10% just Plug Power. And after that, it's Enphase Energy, Meridian Energy, and Verbund AG with about 5%. So it's somewhat heavily weighted on a couple of stocks and it's only holding 30. There's a bit of risk here that um, it's gone into a bit of a bubble territory in, on some of these stocks. Yeah, potentially. But it's another reason why most likely just carrying on and just carrying on investing in this ETF is probably fine. As long as you have the investment in the wider uh, ETF frontier, right, from the country indices and so on and just to compare uh, the cost stru structure this one is more on the expensive side so the cost is 0.4 percent 0.46 actually every single year that you're paying out so even if the etf doesn't perform or loses value you on top have to pay out 0.46 percent to iShares. Uh, to put that in perspective uh, the all-country world is 0.2%, and the S&P 500 in the US uh, as a comparable index would be 0.07% on Vanguard. So the, the cost structure there is, is quite a bit different if you invest into a broad index compared to these specialty types like the global clean energy. Saying that, as Goff says, if you're not quite sure which company to invest in the clean energy space and you see this ETF, it's probably much better to invest in the ETF because you're not investing in one company and potentially it crashes, right? Who knows where they're going to land? Goff, what's your specialty ETF that you're currently invested in? Um, so I also have this one, but the other one that I have and I have had for a while now is the Vanek um, video gaming ETF. To be honest, it... It's something that I got on a whim more than anything else. I just thought uh, it, it was something that uh, I really believed that the media gaming industry was going to get big. And they've got a couple big players uh, in the industry, but it's really hard to understand the various sort of nuances on where there's a big growth and where there's not a big growth and, and so on. Uh, so the fun tickers sort of ESPO, uh, just to kind of break down the fees a little bit more, you have obviously the standard management fee, uh, which is 0.5%. And you've got other expenses uh, around 0.49%, which gives you sort of the gross expense ratio of around 0.99%. Um, but then you have some fee waivers and you've got some like expense reimbursement and so on of around 0.44%, which gives you sort of a net expense ratio of 0.55%. So... In terms of if you compare it to the S&P or you compare it to a few of those other ones that Chris just mentioned, it seems quite expensive of 0.55%. But overall, um, if I think of where I see the gaming industry to go, 0.55% seems uh, a very cheap way of getting a hand into all of these companies. But in terms of like growth on it, uh, over the last year, it's done around 90-odd percent. Um, which is pretty wild. Um, but I, it's just my concrete belief that the video gaming industry is just on its way up and esports 
have got big in the last couple of years, but there's still so much room for growth, right? There's so much room for uh, video gaming and that market just to explode more and more so that the biggest competitions with the biggest fans are not like uh, a rugby tournament or a football tournament that they converge more and more into CS or uh, any other esport. Another one, I think you got me onto this one. I really like this one. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, 25 companies just in the gaming and esports. Uh, so that convinced me straight away. Uh, we all like gaming. <laughs> we all see the, see the potential growth of gaming and esports become anything like it is in Asia already. Yeah, and and in terms of the breakdown, right, the top companies in terms of the percentage, like NVIDIA has got around 7%, Tencent's got about 10%, and AMD's got around 68 Nintendo around 65 and Sia with around 6%. So these are just all the the big names and I could go down this list from Activision to Take-Two and so on. So if any of these companies do well and, and like NVIDIA has done really well, right? So uh, in, in the in the last couple of months, but um, if the, as these companies, these large companies do well, your know, index itself will increase. Okay, Gov, I think we, we outlined two very strong contenders with the clean energy and the gaming. Both of them are really in one industry. So if the industry goes badly over the next 10 years which is maybe unlikely but if it does you are stuck with a bad index the next one i want to call out is the iShares stocks global digitalization etf it's as the name says the trend to more digitalization and some of the stocks in there make perfect sense so you have square which is currently the highest weighted stock square is all about digital payments mobile banking you have Mercado Libre, which is pretty much Amazon on the South America side. You have Spotify. That's where the ETF focuses. What is the future going to look like with the increased digitalization of our everyday lives? It has, it has 175 stocks and the expense ratio is around 0.4%. So a little bit more on the higher side, but not too bad for this many stocks and being so specialized. So it is a very nice little index to have on your side uh, if if you believe in the global digitalization but it's not my favorite to be very honest i think the arc invest etfs have better stocks altogether but they're way more expensive so iShares is kind of the cheap version of getting the digitalization in if you want the more expensive version then have a look at arc a-r-k-k they provide some incredible future thinking uh, indexes, ETFs, when it comes to robotics, autonomous driving. There's some really uh, forward thinking uh, stocks in all of these, but a little bit of a gamble because it's been doing so well in the past year. I'm not sure it can continue doing as well as it has been. Yeah, it's interesting here, Chris, because we've given a couple examples of very specific industries that people can invest in. But again, just like we mentioned earlier, you want most of your funds to be not in these specific industries, primarily because any of them could just crash, right? You want them all to be as widely diversified as possible so that you uh, don't get hit by the swings too much. As a passive investor, your goal is to have just small increases year over year so you can just live kind of without worrying about it, your money, right? Uh, one additional note I think I want to add is, is that some of this 
uh, investment that you're doing when your ETFs can be sizable. So you got to think, uh, depending, I mean, we got a few passionate listeners from across the world here. So just be careful of like tax laws in your country and like just think of the right way of uh, investing into these. Uh, like say if you're in the UK, you can get stocks and shares ISA up to let's say 20K a year right now or something like that. And the point of that is 20K every year that you put into that at the end of it, it's tax-free. You got to think about the tax implications because you're investing much larger sums of money than you are into whatever random stock. Yeah, Gov has nailed that. And I have one specific bad example I would add to exactly Gov's point, and it's the Lixor Pan-Africa ETF. And you would think, and I even read the name like a year ago, and thought, hang on, Africa, that must be booming now. That's probably the ETF to get into. And then I had a look at it, uh, number one, the cost is insanely high. It's 0.9%, and that doesn't include some of the hidden costs you sometimes get. It has 30 stocks on it. Again, not in very well diversified, but the performance has been shocking. Since 2011, it has fallen by about 30% over these uh, yeah, nine to 10 years. It's been doing shockingly bad. And this is exactly the the the, the, the point Gov made around people get stuck on a specific industry or name who knows what's going to happen in the clean energy space right if, if anything crazy happens that makes us uh, use uh, oil more efficient or other energies more efficient and none of these companies are in the ICS clean energy etf all of them could crash right and that's exactly the risk that you have with these specific etfs and that's why we want to build most of the world or the market in in one or in one portfolio at least Right, I think we talked enough about ETFs now for one episode. Just as a takeaway, if you're an amateur beginner investor like we were a few years back, then it definitely makes sense. Think about investing early, put some money in an all-country world or an MSCI world ETF, maybe a little bit of emerging markets and you're kind of set. That should be the fundamental of your entire portfolio, even for more advanced investors. And then as a more advanced investor, you can then think about taking 10, 15% and put that into more specialty type ETFs or certain stocks you like. Uh, just remember this, all of this is just uh, opinions of two guys on the internet. So uh, do, do your own research. This, none of this is uh, investment advice and you, know, you could lose a lot of money um, on your decision making. So just be careful on what you invest and how you invest. Um, so yeah, I think that covers the ETF special. Um, this this episode came from one of our listeners asking a lot about ETFs, and so uh, make sure you keep uh, the engagement up. Uh, send us any queries, questions on um, other ideas that we have, or give us ideas on future episodes. And we'll be back with our weekly four or four later in the week. It's the iShares Stocks Global Digital... <coughs> yeah. Such a mouthful, that name. <laughs> no. the, the next one I want to call out is the iShares Stocks Global G Digital... <laughs>